Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of ODU Wire Radio. It's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas here. And today we've got a really cool topic for you all about the issues with generic drugs. And Paul, I know you're asking yourself, you're you're wondering Generics, what issue, right? And what, what's generic? Yeah. No. <laughs> but before so. we start, we, we have to also say that this is a, a program that's non-sponsored, but through the courtesy of our supporting ODWire.org members. And the fact that it's not sponsored, uh, I know these two gentlemen always speak uh, for the various drug companies, and they know how careful they have to be. Well, guys... You don't have to be careful because nothing goes to a legal department here. No, no, no. Here. They have to be careful. We don't have to be careful. That's, that's the difference. And we never are careful. But no, thank you to, to uh, supporting members for letting the show go on. So, um, But generic drugs. So this is actually a big issue. And I just want to share an anecdote before I introduce our speakers and get into it. A long, long time ago, back when I was in school, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed, I um, had an endocrinology uh, doc that I worked with closely, and he told me right from the outset, he said, you know, if you give a patient thyroid hormone, always make sure they get the same brand. And I, being a young, naive person, said, well, why? Isn't the generic the same? And he just looked at me like I was an idiot, which, of course, back then I, I definitely was. Um, so, so fast forward, you know, many, many decades, and what we're starting to see uh, is that there are some issues with the generic drug supply. In fact, yesterday here in Oregon, Paul, I don't know if you saw this, but the generic drug maker uh, Ranbaxy Laboratories had to pay the state $2.3 million because they were shipping drugs that didn't actually work as well as the branded equivalent. Uh-oh. So this case is not unique. You know, you see it come up all the time. Uh, and this is something that I think that a lot of docs don't appreciate, but really should. Um, so today we're very fortunate to have with us two men who have actually studied this problem in detail and given talks about this at the various meetings. So this isn't just an OD wire thing. These guys are legit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are authorities on this. Um, <laughs> So we have uh, Dr. Augustin Gonzalez, who, who everyone knows, I think, on the site. He's a, a very frequent poster on the site, um, and he's from the, from the Dallas area and a clinician with a very long history, uh, and his partner in crime, Dr. Mel Friedman. And I'm not sure if Mel actually is on the site or posts a lot, but Mel is in private practice in Memphis, um, and he's also studied this problem extensively, and we have them both here today to talk to us all about it. So guys, welcome to ODY Radio. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Adam. Okay, so to get us started, can each of you t talk a little bit about your practices, your location, the, your age groups, uh, the demographics of, of where, you, where you're practicing? Sure, why don't we go with Augustine uh, first? Well, I have a, um, I'm inside an office a medical complex, a pretty much private practice. I've been for the last uh, nine and a half years. A pretty young demographics. I live in Richardson, Texas, which tends to be a younger crowd. It's the first uh, suburb north of uh, of Dallas, uh, mainly uh, mid thirties to to early fifties. Much more concentrated in the medical aspect of country. About uh, sixty percent of my office visits are are medical in nature. Uh, and then 40% tend to be more refracted contact lenses, mainly. Um, that, that's pretty much it. Nothing, nothing extraordinary about my office. Ah, but you're extraordinary, so that what makes a difference. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm opinionated, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, Mel, so tell us about a little bit about your practice. 
Okay, I'm in a <clears throat> excuse me. I'm in a private practice in <clears throat> Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, <clears throat> the practice is a a medically based uh, contact lens type of practice. We deal pretty much with uh, also dry eyes, allergy, medically necessary contact lenses become a very big portion of the practice. We get a tremendous number of referrals from surgeons for keratoconus and corneal transplants to uh, use uh, contact lenses as well. Besides that, we also do glaucoma uh, therapy and, and general medical uh, therapies from bacterial conjunctivitis to virus to you name it. Our demographics is a wide variety from African American to Asian um, to white to uh, pretty much everything we see. Because of the broad-based population, and we go from anywhere from uh, young of 10 years of age to probably 60, 65 for the most part, is 90% of our population. And because of the broad base of the population, we get to see pretty much anything and everything. And, and I'm just stunned at some of the things I see. Um, and as a result, it certainly made us a lot more edu educated in, in the field of medical optometry. Great. And so what actually brought you to be interested in the topic that we're talking about today, generic drugs? Well, <clears throat> I think listening to some of my colleagues, uh, both optometrically and ophthalmologically, I always have heard how generic and branded were pretty much the same, and uh, we never worried about it. And one of my favorite drugs in the past was, um, and we could say branded, was Tobradex. Tobradex was a great drug in years past. And a few years ago when Tobradex went generic, and again, I never really thought much about it at the time, uh, I wrote, say, four or five different prescriptions for Tobradex and didn't think anything of it. And all four or five patients came back, and they all were SPK-type patients, and they all came back with the quality of care of, of healing was not there or the same as when I used Tobradex brand. So, and I wasn't aware of that until I said to my patients, let me see your drug. And it was Tobradex generic. All five of them came back needing to be seen and needing more uh, medication. With that, I started saying, okay, what's going on with generic versus brand? And as a result of looking at it Further, I found a real differential in therapeutic measures of brand versus generic. Right. So, so Augustine, um, generics have been on the market for a really long time. So what are your concerns? You know, when, when did you start noticing a difference? You know, Mel brings in a, a great point with Toradex uh, going generic. It was the first time, I think, that optometry, optometry as a group being big Toradex prescribers, um, Optometry started noticing that generic Toradex was not as effective as brand. Generics came into market in 1984 um, as, by the Hatch-Waxman Act. But, but I think that optometry, going back into, into, into optometry, didn't discover this until fairly recently when, when Toradex came, became generic. In eye care as a, as a whole, back as far back as uh, 1999 with the advent of, uh, of generic uh, Walter and Diclofenac, the surgeons were starting to see the, the, the corneal melts associated to um, the use of Diclofenac, generic Diclofenac, after cataract surgery. Uh, and I think that that was the first time that we became aware of the generic and brand controversy. 
More recently, you know, we had the advent of uh, generic red acetate, which uh, we had problems in the efficacy and noted a number of research papers have noticed this. And then more recently, I think Otorri being more involved, um, and, and that's my other passion, the, the, the use of medications by optometry, optometry being more involved in, uh, in the management of glaucoma, the advent of the of generic salatan uh, has also shown that the efficacy of the generics are not, are not as effective. And that's something that I did notice in my practice as patients are going from um, branded salatan to generic salatan. I noticed that the, the the control of the of the pressure was not was not the same. So you know, then I met Mel. We started talking about this, and it, it has become a passion afterwards. But there's there's a long history. You know, if you start digging deeper, there's a long history of ophthalmic topical medications not being um, the the generic versions not being as effective as the branded versions. Right. So what yeah. actually, I'm, I'm sorry, Mel, I was just curious, what actually makes, makes these things different? <laughs> I thought they were supposed to be the same thing just without the, uh, the, the brand name. You know, they have, they've had some drop studies and he mentions a good, he mentions a, a, a good study where he was talking about Zalatan brand versus generic Zalatan. There was another drop study using Zalatan generic versus Lumigan brand. The Zalatan generic was about 22 millimeters of mercury pressure. Um, they then used Lumigan brand and found it down to about 18 millimeters of mercury. That's significantly different. Different. But here's the real scary part of all this. You take a patient who comes into your office who has, say, a 28-29 pressure, and you then put them on a prostaglandin, and it ends up being a generic and you see him back in a in a two weeks, and his pressures are coming down, and you figure, okay, we're doing fine, so we'll see him in say a couple of months. Well, the fact that you are assuming that this prostaglandin generic is going to perform and bring it down further, maybe something we shouldn't assume, because for three months he still may be at 22, where we really want him down to 18 or 17, and we don't have that pressure achieved. Uh, a level of uh, achieved yet, right? And so, what is it, what exactly is happening here, right? There's there's a difference there, but what is this difference between the two different drugs? Well, I think when you're talking about a generic Zalatan versus, say, uh, branded Zalatan, there's all sorts of components that go into making up the drug, which we'll get into later. But you know, you've got the preservatives. Uh, have a major influence factor, the pH factors. We know that uh, sometimes the pharmacological issues of when we have the drug that stings a little bit more than the others, we find that because they're more acidic, they don't cross the corneal barrier, and so they're not quite as effective as a branded drug that's more towards the alkaline or the neutral level. Hmm. You have to, you know, look at it this way. In, if you pick a bottle of Salatan or, or, or Tralatan, you will see that, uh, and, and I'll use Tralatan as an example, 99.996% of the bottle, and, and let me repeat that number, 99.996% of the bottle 
it's actually inactive ingredients. So if you start changing the the big components that provide stability, buffers, uh, preservatives, as Mel mentioned, once you start changing those components and you have a leeway not only to change the, 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 the active ingredient, which is a very small percentage, but the inactive ingredients, you know, you're changing the efficacy, you're changing the pharmacokinetics of the molecule, you're changing the pharmacodynamics of the of the um, of the molecule, and that changes the the effectiveness. It, it, so, you know, it's it's the other stuff. A lot of times, uh, clinicians will tell me, "Well, it's the same active ingredient." But yeah, it, it, look at the look at the ninety nine percent of the bottle. You know that that those those uh, uh, those inactive ingredients are crucial to creating a therapeutically effective medication. You know, I think I think Tanner sums it up best when he says, "Generics must prove formulary equivalency, but don't have to prove therapeutic equivalency." And that's what Dr. Gonzalez is talking about. So, so is there a difference uh, in the approval process? No. Uh, yes. In, in some, as far as manufacturing, they both are manufactured the same way. Okay, they're they're supposed to be identical, but the branded drug does animal studies. The generic drug doesn't have to do an animal study, therefore it relies strictly on the manufacturing. So we hope that it's the same, but in in evidence that if we don't have your animal studies going on like we do in the branded, we don't always have the same equivalency. And we already know that there's a minimum of a 5% differential, as Dr. Gonzalez just said. And it can even go up further when we talk about the entire entity of the uh, total chemistry of the medication itself. You know, um, during, during our, our slide presentation, um, there's a slide that we go, we go side by side. And, and we talk about the chemistry being the same. We talk about the manufacturing being the same standards. And we can talk about manufacturing also for a long time. That's another hot topic. We can talk about the controls being the same. We can talk about the labeling being a formulation. But, you know, but the formulation itself on the approval process for the, for the generics, it's reverse engineered. On the testing, you know, we don't, we don't have any clinical trials to prove clinical outcomes. Um, and I think that it's, it's crucial that, that having the clinic, and I'm a clinical trials advocate, having the, 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 the clinical trials proves to the clinicians that the medication does what it does. And without the clinical trials, it's actually really difficult to ascertain um, not only the efficacy, um, but also the safety and, and the amount of adverse events, because that's something that's also looked at in clinical trials, the amount of adverse events that the um, that the medication is going to give us. So it sounds like you actually have to look very closely at the company that manufactured the particular generic that you're using. You just hit the nail on the head. Absolutely, as we've we've said before, and we'll say it again: <clears throat> when you when you as a consumer go to your pharmacist, we've always said ask where the drug is manufactured. Um, 
today, as Dr. Gonzalez has, has mentioned too and previously, India and China are having a tremendous number of generic formulations uh, produced there. Uh, what was really interesting it, on a personal level, uh, doxycycline happens to be a drug I use quite a bit in practice, but I also use it once in a while for my son. And he has taken it over the years for a dermatological issue if he's needed it or whatever. And the last time he took it, he ended up having a severe reaction. So my first response is, is he allergic to doxy or a tetracycline derivative? But the first thing I did, as I said, go into your pharmacy and ask them if they've changed distributors and where they got it. So he did, and he went in. And lo and behold, they had just changed distributors. They now are going to India. Hmm. You know, when, when you stop and think about it, that generic salad can be manufactured by seven different companies. And each of these have, has their own little reverse engineered process. That's when the variations come in. A, a brand manufacturer can only... And, and, you know, the beauty of this is because we're not being sponsored. We can talk about different brands. And let me give you an example. Uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a, a, pro, a, a promotional speaker for Bosch and Lom, but we'll use Bessie Hands down, for me, the biggest firecracker antibiotic we have in the market. Every bottle of Bessie is going to be manufactured under the exact same recipe. When you go to ciprofloxacin, which is a great generic alternative, 88% of the generics do not meet the five, the, the plus or minus 5% of the analytical limit of the active ingredient. You know, that's crazy. So to a certain degree, there's a placebo effect when we prescribe generics, but the variability Inside, and that's a 2012 study uh, that was actually done on counterfeit medications, which we can touch on also a little bit later. Um, you know, the variability from the manufacturers creates variability in therapeutic effectiveness, and, and that's a, that's something of concern. Right. So I guess my question to you guys is, how is it that you can do that with a drug like, like ciprofloxacin? How can it stay on the market, even though you know that there may be problems? Okay, I think that's a great question. And, and unless we can continue to do things like, like you all are doing and really get the word out even more that there is a problem with generic pharmaceutical agents, I think if you were to do a questionnaire around the country, you would find that many MDs, ODs, don't even think twice about writing a generic drug or writing a drug. A patient came into the office who's diabetic who lost 75 pounds, and she's on metformin. And I said, well, that's great. So I suspect now you're reducing, the, the physician is reducing your um, dosage. And he said to me, no. As a matter of fact, my nurse practitioner just increased my dosage on the metformin. Well, you know, in my opinion, a red flag needs to be raised. A patient loses 70 pounds and you increase the drug. And by the way, the, the drug was a generic. So well, these are the kind of things you have to start asking questions about. So, so once you... Well, let's, well, uh, 
One, one concern I have is who's protecting the public? Who determines what's counterfeit and then takes legal action? Oh, let me tell you, that, that, that's a loaded question. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what, what's happening. Um, this message of generic medications, it, it's not driven by Big Pharma. Big Pharma's aware of it. They're concerned with it. But ultimately, you know, they've always been played as the big bad boys. So if Big Pharma, say, you know, a company like Alcon, Bosch, and Lomo, Allergan were to sponsor this lecture, you know, they would be seen as a self-serving message. So Big Pharma really doesn't want to have their, their, their fingers in, in this message. This message is being carried by patient advocates. And, and you will see that there's a, uh, there's a number of them that have been carrying this message forward. Um, counterfeit medications, you know, stop and think about it. 80%, 80% of the counterfeit medications that we're seeing in the marketplace are, are antibiotics. But that's not exclusive of that. Back in 2012, the FDA, in the summer of 2012, and this is just, you know, two years ago, the FDA was warning of ophthalmologists of counterfeit avastin that was hitting the, 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 the marketplace. Our patients now have access to online pharmacies, and they have access to, to uh, a new model of pharmacies that are called facilitators that are popping up in California and Florida. And these are pharmacies that bring the medications from outside the United States and bring them into the, uh, into the market, American uh, marketplace. The problem is that the controls that the branded medication have to make it inherently safe, and that's something that the American, the American public has never doubted, that the brand medications are safe. Because the FDA has built in safeguards to provide, so that's not an argument. But that's an argument that's starting to appear with the generic medications, because we don't know where they're coming from. Now, with that said, if you're taking vitamin C or if you're taking aspirin on a daily basis, chances are that that vitamin C and aspirin you're taking is coming from China, even if it's branded in the United States, because 80% of the American uh, medications that we consume, even a lot of the branded ones, are coming from overseas. 100% of the ingredients are actually done overseas. But the formulations are supervised for the branded medications, the generic medications, the formulations dictated by the reverse engineering of the process and by the specific compounding of the manufacturing process, which the FDA now is trying to look at more oversight. Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you brought up the FDA. I I'm looking at a lot of... of uh attorneys general here suing the, the heck out of these companies. You know, we just saw the case in Oregon here for a few million dollars from one generic manufacturer. But what's going on that's proactive? You know, the damage has already been done in those cases. What is the FDA doing to actually get ahead of this problem? Well, the FDA, the FDA is very, it, it, it's very aware of this problem. The FDA has actually been looking into this. There was a, a really interesting, I was hearing a, a really interesting webcast the other day on the, um, and I forget her name, but she's a she's an MD MPH. Um, they are starting to to require manufacturing facilities outside of the United States for generics to have FDA monitors be able to come in and regulate and verify compliance with with universal standards. So the FDA is knowledgeable of this. Now, 
that doesn't mean that the FDA has the money because, you know, one thing is, is, is having the best intentions. One thing is, one thing is, is, is funding it. But a lot of these uh, claims that have been paid by generic manufacturers to the states, the states are actually using them in educational purposes and they're using them in, in monitoring purposes uh, to making sure that the drug supplies are safe and, and, uh, and reliable. And so the FDA is very aware of this. The AMA also is very aware of the legal implications that, that, um, that put the physicians at risk for for things that they they don't control, um, and, and so there is a lot of awareness. The FDA is trying to work with this. There was actually uh, there was a um, five hundred uh, or five. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a five hundred million or five billion dollar. I think it was five hundred million dollar lawsuit that was won by the FDA with a generic. Uh, Company and that was actually uh, is used for for uh, manufacturing enforcement. So, so can, can you talk about the from the practitioner's point of view? What's their legal implication if they start using a generic and the case goes south? I think that's a great question. And and one of the problems we've found, first of all, what's in, instigated the fact of even using a generic? We find that that practitioners are driven, as you all know, by the fact that, well, I don't know if my patient can afford it. I mean, we've heard that tons of times, and yet I'm not sure they can't, that they cannot afford it because of everything that Dr. Gonzalez and I have mentioned of the past. But the implication um, has come legally from the 2011 and the 2013 Supreme Court rulings. The 2011 Supreme Court ruling specifically stated that generic companies could not be held accountable if a patient goes south. They went, they went one step further in 2013 because there was a case in New Hampshire, I believe, where a woman sued a generic company because she went south and, and uh, had an award of $8 million. The Supreme Court overturned that. And here's where the big decision came and specifically said generic companies cannot be held accountable, nor can the pharmacist who changed the brand prescription, but the physician and the branded company can be held accountable. So basically what they're saying is the generic company supposedly is doing the exact same manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera, and it's the exact same component. Therefore, they can be held uh, accountable to brand company. What I also think is very interesting is the fact that the argument can be used, well, if it's a standard of care, then the physician still should be okay. According to the Supreme Court, that is not true because the Supreme Court is saying that it's not up to the generic company to tell the patient what the pluses and minuses are of a generic drug and the warnings. But the physician and the branding company's responsibility of that are necessary. Hmm. So I guess my question would be then, <laughs> knowing all this and knowing that there are potential treatment failures going on out there, is there are an actual cost savings to society as a whole to using generic drugs versus the branded. 
Well, I think that's that's a great question again, and and as we've mentioned, you know, in our in our slide decks, et cetera, the fact remains: if you take a generic drug, and the patient comes back in a few days and is not, or a week, and is not responding like you need to, so there's an extra office visit and there's an extra bottle of medication that the patient has to um, take. So now we've got two copays instead of one. We've got two copays on the medical side from the prescriptions, and we've got two copays for the office visit. Again, I would then ask the question, are we really saving money for the patient? Well, one of, one of the things that has happened is with the, the, with the Supreme Court rulings and, and and once again, I, I I know in medicine has been documented. I don't I, I don't know if it's been documented in optometry. But what has happened is uh, with the Supreme Court rulings, now physicians are actually getting a little bit more follow-up appointments when a patient goes into a generic medication. So consequently, the patient might not see the direct cost of the generic medication, but the, certainly the the increase of copays and the increase uh, supervision of care. Will drive the cost of, of healthcare up, uh, but it's a savings on the medication. So you know, are we really saving money? Most studies prove that that generic medications really are not a cost-saving um, alternative, uh, especially now with the with the Supreme Court rulings. So you know, it in my office i put when patient says you know i want to go to generic salad and i'm like perfect you know you can go ahead and do that uh, i will supervise you more often because i need to and oftentimes because the, the generic is not as effective they end up having a junk therapy which increases the price of, of, of having a branded medication so the patients think that they're saving you know they're really not saving that much well it's all it's on the perception of how are you saving you, you know we've also found that because of the rulings generic drugs have skyrocketed in price for example a year ago doxycycline used to cost about $45 for the large bottle that the pharmacist used that will store today that exact same bottle costs the pharmacist $2000 that tell you how wow. fast the stuff is increasing? Wow. Wow. Crazy. Well, I, I have a loaded question for both of you, and you can answer or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, unbeknownst to many people, a lot of the large pharmaceutical companies run their own generic operations. Would you feel more yeah. comfortable actually prescribing a generic drug knowing that it was one of those companies' labs that was actually producing it? Who do you want to go first on this one? Uh, whichever one oh, feels. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you flat out. Absolutely not, because the drug I used, Cobradex, it was its parent, which was Falcon, that came back that I wasn't getting the response from. So typically, you know, typically the, uh, the 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 generics the generics get. A, a, and even branded medications sometimes get outsourced to a third party, right? Um, so they can be they can be outsourced. They can be manufactured by different plants, but the label can be the same. So it, 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 it's on the manufacturing and the controls. When 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 we talk about manufacturing controls in generics, you can have multiple manufacturing facilities 
creating a similar product, but not necessarily going through the same controlled steps. In branded medications, the same controlled steps have to be kept exactly the same. That's the reason why branded medications are more expensive. There are more safeguards in place to make sure that you're always getting the same thing. What the Hatch-Waxman Act did is they made a way with some of those regulatory requirements that increase the price of medications, including the development, creating a leeway for a similar product, not an exact product. And, and that's where we're at now, you know. So would I, would I feel more comfortable? You know what? That could be, that could be a fool's argument. Uh, no, I know exactly with the branded product what I'm getting. With the generic product, there's so much leeway that I never know what I'm getting. So I need to supervise that patient more often, especially now that the Supreme Court has stated that I am responsible. It's not the generic manufacturer's responsibility to make that sure that the, the, the process of healing takes place. You know, as a, as a primary care provider that we all are, we need to be astutely aware of all the kind of medications that our patients are, are, are taking. And we had a patient come in about a year ago that was on Coumadin. Chief complaint was she was here for contact lenses, but she's also not knowing if she's stable because she's been throwing clots. Well, that's really interesting. So the first thing I said to this patient was, are you on brand or are you on generic Coumadin? He said, well, I'm on generic. I said, well, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you go back to your PCP, whoever's prescribing this, let's get you on brand. She went back to her, she went on brand, and with one month, she was stable, and no more clots were being found. So Does knowing that tell what, you what's really going on? Yeah, and knowing what you know, I expect that you're going to be using brands. Are there any exceptions where you would use the generic because there's an yes. enormous difference in savings or quality? Yes. Yeah, I think there are some. And I think Dr. Gonzalez would also agree. Any drug that's critical in care, you don't use a brand. You don't use a generic. Any drug that probably isn't critical, and one that I tend to use, that I will use, is something like a homatropine, where I make sure they're dilated up quickly and so forth. I'm not normally, and then I see them back in a day or so making this full dilation. I'm not as critical of that, but when it comes to steroids, when it comes to antibiotics, when it comes to things of that nature and glaucoma meds, you're not going to see me writing a brand at all. I'd rather a generic, I'm sorry, a generic at all. It'll always be brand. You know, there's, generics have, have, a, have a place in my, in, in, in my office. I'm not going to knock them off. You know, a, a minor infection that I want to protect, and it's, uh, it, it, you know, I will, I will let them take generics. Ciprofloxacin, I, it, it's fine. But when it comes to something that, that is site-threatening or a chronic disease like glaucoma, Typically, I will try to discourage the patient of going into a generic. And if they want to go into a generic, I will have them sign a disclosure agreement that says, I don't like it. These drugs are not tested clinically. There's no clinical trials on them. And there's questions on the efficacy and safety of the medication. Um, I make them aware that that's not 
what I would give my family. And um, so, so you know, I don't want to say I never use generics because, yes, I've prescribed generics and I've used generics and they're, they do have a place in my office. But uh, what I'm telling you is when it comes to the patient's vision, and that's, that's not taken very lightly, um, I would recommend what I would take and, and, and I will tell the patient very seriously. And patients know when you're serious about something. You know. Yeah. Have you guys actually ever gotten any pushback from pharmacists who think you're insane? Oh, yes. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> oh, yes. And I don't mean pushback in that respect. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me specifically talk about that. We had a patient that I wrote Best Advance for last week. And the pharmacist called up and said to my staff, because I didn't answer the phone, obviously, and said, can we use a generic? My staff is well-trained and said, absolutely not. So she ended up getting the brand. Well, I called back later and I said, can you do me a favor? And the pharmacist said, yes, what? Can you tell me what the generic drug is that's for Besavance? And the response was, well, doctor, you're right. There isn't a generic, but the insurance company wanted us to try to do a generic. I said, let me tell you something. To misrepresent yourself and your company, and for that matter, the insurance company, by saying, Mrs. Smith, I have a generic that will do the same thing as Besavance, is something that I'm not going to tolerate. If I catch you, your pharmacy company, or anybody doing that again, if I can report you to the board or whatever, I'll do it. That's the kind of stand that we do in this office because we're that serious about our patients' care and well-being. I'm not going to let somebody play games due to the fact of, of profit-bearing to my patients' well-being. Right. Well, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, we were just about running out of time. Well, I have to say, I have a closing thought. This was the most depressing, but probably important, <laughs> but, but important half hour that we've actually done. I think that a lot of people are going to take away a very different, uh, atti- you know, have a very different attitude towards generics after this. But do you have any uplifting advice for us? You know, just to sort of close out. <laughs> Yeah, I can, I, can say, I can say one thing real Dr. quick. Dr. Friedman, go ahead. We are, we are so fortunate to have the kind of drugs on the market today, the branded drugs, seriously. Um, we can give the best delivery system in the world because we have the best drugs, be it Bashalam, be it Allergan, be it Alkan, I don't care who. We are that fortunate. What we have to do is push back the insurance companies a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm here practicing what I know I can do, and if you want to practice pharmacist or, or insurance company, then maybe you need to come in and see the patient instead of us. In other words, we really need to take a stand because we're trained, and we're trained well to do what we do best, and that's what we need to do. Right. Augustine, any last words? <laughs> <laughs> last words. You know, I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry to have been the bearer of bad news for the last hour. <laughs> <laughs> I really... You know, it, it, honestly, it, it, I don't. I don't like to re- remember that way. But, uh, but you know what? We have a great system going, and and when you prescribe a branded medication, you have to think of of, of the cost. It's also associated to the safety and efficacy of that medication. Um, that's an argument that generics cannot make. The the other thing is, my even though. My pharmacist ended up being, or the pharmacist down the street, uh, 
ended up being a patient of mine simply because she, she noticed that my prescribing patterns were a little bit different from some of my peers. And, um, and, and consequently, you know, she ended up, and they end up being a great source of referrals for red eyes that go and ask for assistance. Um, so that's a vote of confidence on the type of work that, that you end up doing. But, uh, but you know what? Think about, think about the patients and think what's best for the patient. Don't, I, I typically, my fourth year interns, I tell them, I don't try to be your patient's friend. Try to be your patient's doctor. Give them the best advice. Give them the advice you would like for your family or for yourself. You know, patients value that and patients can see through that. They can see through your concern. And, uh, and that makes it for a very rewarding interaction. And there's nothing, at least for me, there's nothing more rewarding than a patient saying, you know, thank you. Um, and, and in closing, what I'll tell you is this. Friends tell you what you don't want to hear, even if they know that it's going to hurt you. Right. So keep that in mind. You know, that's a true friend. He'll tell you, hey, this is not what you need. But uh, but I'm sorry for, 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 you know, but in an uplifting manner, you know what? I think optometrists are a great profession. Optometrists are starting to prescribe more medications than ever before. Um, we are becoming a lot more medical in our, in our care, and, and our patients value that. And... Uh, I, I, that's it. I'm, I'm going to stop rambling. I, I, think, rambling. I think that is actually a great and uplifting way to end. So, yeah, thank But one, one more thing. Yeah. That there'll be questions. Oh, yes. There will be questions. So the conversation about this will continue on ODYR, I'm sure. So, again, gentlemen, thank you both for being with us, and we will see you online. <laughs>